0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. And you can be seated this morning. We are we have been making our way through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to Ephesians. And we've been looking at some major sections here uh, in this in this book. And we've come to some important teaching that Paul has for us regarding marriage. So I've decided I'm going to slow down here and put on the brakes and take today and next week to work our way through what Paul has to say about marriage. And um, you know, I, can, I know this can be a challenging uh, topic and, a, and, a, and, and actually a painful topic for a variety of reasons. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. Uh, We sin against people, and that hurts people, and people sin against us and hurt us. Our expectations and ideals um, don't always match, oftentimes don't match the reality of of what we were looking for in life and in this area of relationships and and marriage. So I'm not coming to this with rose-colored glasses at all. And I I remember, um, I'll never forget the day that my dad called me, and this was when I was in my 30s, and I could take you to the exact spot down in St. Louis, outside of St. Louis University, right across from the parking garage there, Uh, got a cell phone call from my dad and said, I need to talk to you. And he began to share with me what was going on in their marriage and how it was falling apart. And I knew at that moment that the trajectory of our family was going to change and the dynamics were going to change, and it has, and it's been painful. And so, we, we need to come to this from a place of, of reality, you know, that, that there is this is challenging stuff, and, um, and it can be painful and difficult for people uh, to hear sometimes because of the challenge and the pain and the trouble. But, you know, our God is a God of healing and restoration. And I've seen that happening in my family as well. We're not completely there, but, but God is a God of healing and redemption and restoration. And God has some very important and good things for for us to hear. When it comes to this topic of, of marriage, no matter where we Come from in terms of our own experience, I think it's important for all Christians to think about in our culture where the institution of marriage has taken such a hit. It's important for us to think about what the Bible has to say about marriage. Even people that, for whom this might seem irrelevant, I'm, I'm not married or I'm never going to be married. So why do I need to think about this again? I think it's so important for Christians to understand and support A biblical view of marriage. And besides, some of the things that Paul says in this passage are very controversial. Right? And people will point to this. Critics of Christianity in the Bible will point to passages like this and say, oh, there you go. Paul is a misogynist. So let's not listen to what Paul has to say about marriage or anything else. So we really need to think carefully through what Paul is is saying here. So that's, that's what I want to do. Today And I'm just going to start with that some of that controversial stuff there at the beginning. But before we get to the controversy, I don't want the controversy to cloud over. The the great thing, the wonderful thing that Paul is saying here about marriage, he has a very exalted view about marriage in verse 32, he says, marriage is a profound mystery. Of course, if you've been married, you, <laughs> you might be saying, yeah, I don't I don't understand him. I, I don't understand her. It's a mystery, and there's a mystery how all this is going to work out. But that, actually, that's not what Paul means when he uses that term mystery. What Paul means when he uses the term mystery here and throughout his writings. For Paul, a mystery is it's part of God's plan that has been hidden for a very long time, but now is unveiled, now is revealed, and now it makes sense in the light of Jesus Christ. A plan that has been hidden, but now is revealed in the light of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is that God planned for marriage from the beginning to reflect Jesus's relationship with his people. Now marriage has more significance. It is part of a greater story. It is part of the unfolding plan of God's work in the world in redemptive history. So he quotes, going back to the beginning, Genesis two, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. This is the mystery, Paul says, and that refers to Christ and his church. So from the beginning, God planned marriage, designed marriage to reflect, to be a, a, a parable of sorts, a demonstration of Jesus's. Sacrificial love. Christian marriage finds its deepest meaning and purpose in the cross of Christ. Where we see the sacrificial love of God revealed. And so, for those of us who are married, what we're trying to work towards, what Paul says we ought to be working towards in our marriage, is that our marriage will be a reflection in some small way of this Sacrificial love that we see in Christ. There ought to be moments in our marriage when we we say, you know what? This is what sacrificial, unconditional love feels like or looks like or sounds like. I don't deserve this this kind of love. And that ought to be flowing through us to our marriage partner. And, And again, it's a reflection ultimately of the love, a small reflection of the love that God has shown us on the cross. And the way we relate to our spouse ought to be a witness to that love, to our family and friends and neighbors, our children, our grandchildren. And again, let's let's be real. We messed this up. We messed this up with our sin and our selfishness. We're not Christ. Our love is not always pure or unconditional. We hurt each other. We do stupid things. We say stupid things. We need repentance and forgiveness in marriage. We need the grace of God, but we we cannot give up on it. We cannot lower the standards. We cannot disengage if we're married. We have to pursue what Paul is saying here, because the greatest meaning of Christian marriage is found at the cross of Christ. It reflects the sacrificial love of Christ for his people and the union between Christ and his people, the union between Christ and the church. And that is why the church has always says it is holy. Holy. Matrimony. It is holy because of what it signifies to the world. So I think it is so important for us in our day as a church. To to recover something of this grand and beautiful and exalted view of marriage. That connects to the greatest moment of love in human history, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the context for everything that Paul has to say about marriage. Okay, it's a very exalted view, a very high view of marriage. Now, in this passage, Paul discusses the attitudes that we need to have within marriage. And these are spirit-filled attitudes. You know, this is all part of one long sentence, which is why... Uh, Helen started a little bit earlier to give us a little more sense of the context. And Helen and I were talking this week. It was like, here's one of Paul's long sentences that goes on for, you know, four or five lines. And we're just picking up in the middle of it. But this whole thing starts with be filled with the spirit, with that imperative to be filled with the spirit. Therefore, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. And all the other stuff that we talked about last week. How do we live out a spiritual life within the body of Christ? But the important thing for us to understand is these attitudes that Paul is calling husband and wife to display in marriage are spirit filled attitudes. We are enabled and energized by the life of the spirit, by God in us to do these things without the spirit. We're dead. (laughs) We're dead in this. We're not going to have the resources to do it. But with the spirit of Christ, we're enabled and empowered to live these attitudes out. And so Paul says these are the attitudes that we need to have in the marriage, and he discusses different attitudes for wives and husbands. And so today we're going to look at what he says to the wife. Next Sunday, husbands, it's your turn. It's our turn. I'm under this as well. Of course, what makes people uncomfortable is the language that Paul uses here at the beginning. In verse 22, when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The big question, what does he mean by submit? Okay. Okay. I think it's important to notice that any good study Bible or Bible commentary will point out that the preceding verse adds a very important context, which is verse 21 submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. So these this attitude of submission is not just an attitude for women. It is an attitude for men as well. It is submitting to one another is a mark of the spirit filled Christian within the body of Christ. And that is an attitude that both men and women need to exercise within the body of Christ. But then he comes from that context of the body of Christ to a more narrow context, which is the marriage relationship. And as he moves to that context, he says, this is what I want wives in particular to display. This attitude of submission. And what does that mean? Well, I defined it last week. Submission means to yield to another person. And the the Greek word that this comes from, the the, the Greek word that's translated here, was a word that was used in military times, in military context, in the Greco Roman world. And it was described to, it, it, it described submitting to or yielding to a leader the military leader, in order to accomplish a larger goal, which was, in the military context, victory. There needs to be a chain of command. There needs to be that in the military context. There needs to be yielding to the leader in order to accomplish a greater purpose. Now, I told my wife a couple of weeks ago, I told Josie I'm going to be preaching on this topic. It's there in the lectionary. I don't want to run away from it. I don't want to hide. I asked her, would you like to preach on this topic? And um, <laughs> after she said no, uh, she did say, she did say, if nobody's willing to submit or yield in marriage. That's just a recipe for frustration and fighting. And I think that's part of the practical wisdom here that that Paul is, is getting at. Submission means choosing. That's important. Choosing. It's a voluntary posture. Okay, Paul is not saying the, the husband has to make the wife submit. No, he's calling on the wife to have to take on this attitude, which is a work of the spirit in their life. And it's voluntarily choose to yield to another person's leadership in order to accomplish a goal. Now, I want to talk about what submission does not mean. That's mainly what I want to talk about, because, again, people point to a text like this and say your Bible's misogynistic. And uh, I don't have time to really talk about the first century context here this morning. But we're going to talk about that next week. And you're going to see how what Paul is saying is is uh, is quite radical and elevates the status of women in first century context. But here are some things that submission does not mean that some people have misinterpreted or misimplied. It, misapplied it. It does not mean that the person who is submitting is of less value. is less of a person or has less value. Jesus submitted to the will of his heavenly father. Jesus is fully God, the son of God, fully divine, equal with his father in terms of divine nature. And yet he chose, he willingly volunteered to submit to the will of the father in order to accomplish the purpose of redemption. In order to go to the cross, he submitted his will. So submission does not mean inequality or inferiority, whether or the person who is submitting is of lesser value. Again, in the body of Christ, we are all called to submit to one another. Also, submission does not mean being a doormat, being passive, not speaking up, being unengaged. God designed marriage so that the husband and wife will be a team, mutually dependent upon one another, complementing one another's strengths and weaknesses. In Genesis 2, God says to Eve that you are to be Adam's what? His helper. That is not a word, by the way, of inferiority as well. Because the the helper is coming from a position of complementing the other person. The other person needs what you have. So, in fact, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God uses that word helper. The same word that he called Eve, he uses that to describe himself and his role in terms of relating to the people of Israel. God calls himself Israel's helper. He uses that word 16 times in the Old Testament. God is referred to as a helper. So that is not a word of inferiority. Submission does not mean being a doormat. God calls wives to be strong helpers for their husbands, a compliment to the husband this week i Monday is my day off, and so um, this week I did something that I normally never do alone. Josie 's usually with me when I do this, and that is go shopping <laughs> i i I need her help when i 'm shopping i don 't want to go shopping in the first place, but uh, if I have to go you know it 's just run in and out of the store real quick to get something but I don't like long drawn out shopping excursions and uh, she doesn't usually like being with me when we're involved in that. But but when we do that, she's with me and she, she helps me. Monday was my day off and I decided to go shopping because uh, Queenie Park had its annual book sale. So I wanted to go to Queenie Park for the book sale and I had my little guy Sam with me and Josie was with the women's retreat on Monday. And so I was alone shopping and um, I don't know if you've been. Did anybody go to the, the book sale at Quinney Park or has been to the book sale there? It's just this big room with tables everywhere and books everywhere, and it's just a bookworms delight, you know. <laughs> but it's, it was crowded, and so I'm, I'm maneuvering my shopping cart, and Sam's in the shopping cart. And at one point, I stopped in one aisle. There's a lot of people, busy people going back and forth. And I, I put my cart on one side of the aisle, and then I walked across to look at the books on the other side of the aisle. And this lady came up to me and she said, excuse me, sir, but you just blocked both sides of the aisle. And I said, and without even thinking, I said, oh, well, that's the kind of thing my wife helps me with. And I kid you not, she said, well, this wife is, telling, is helping you now. Move your cart. <laughs> she literally said that. And uh, so I sheepishly moved my cart. <laughs> There are some things I absolutely need my wife's help with. That's kind of a silly example. But I I need her help in terms of knowing how to read people and process things emotionally and relationships. She's much more adept at that than I am. And so submission is God is not calling the wife to be passive and to be a doormat. And he's saying, no, the role for the, the wife is to compliment, to be a strong helper. For the husband. And the husband is to sacrifice for his wife. And we'll get to that next week. Here's something else that submission is not. It is not absolute. The husband submitting to the wife. God is the only one to whom we should absolutely submit. Now, some people will say, well, verse 24, Paul says, wives submit in everything to their husband. But let's not take that out of context. Okay. Context determines meaning and application In in biblical study. So you have to put things into context. And the context of the entire Bible is that God alone is worthy, worthy of absolute submission. And the context here is I think everything has to be qualified by what Paul says about the kind of leadership He's calling the husband to exercise. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is envisioning a wife submitting, yielding to a loving leader who's willing to die for his wife, who's willing to lay down his life for her. And I I bring that up. It's not absolute. I bring that up because submission belongs to God alone. And, And some people, this is why I'm harping on this point, because some people have used this text in a very twisted way. And, 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 and um, it's kind of difficult to even hear about it. Because I, I read this book that was published in 1989 by a clinical psychologist called Battered into Submission. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was talking about. Cases he had seen where the husband would say, even though he was abusive to her physically, um, you have to submit. And the wife, in some cases, saying, if only I would be more submissive, this would stop. That is light years, light years away from what Paul is talking about here. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Women who are in that context need to get out and get help. What Paul means by submission is simply that the wife chooses to yield to her husband's leadership. I was in the Covenant Library this week, Tuesday, with a stack of books on this issue. I knew there was going to be a lot to think about, talk about, and how to frame it. How to be faithful to the text. And a pastor friend came by and he said, what are you working on? I said, I'm working on Ephesians 5. He said, oh. (laughs) Submission, headship, all that? Yeah. And, and he said, um, he said um, he's, he's a bright guy. He said, you know, what I, when I preached on that, I defined it as a willingness on the part of the wife to let her husband take leadership, to take responsibility, a, a, a willingness, a yieldingness. So how, how should that apply to a Christian wife today? Notice that Paul doesn't give any really specific application. And, and of course, Paul's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that's such wisdom because Paul is not tying us down to stereotypes that would have been associated with first century culture. So he doesn't give us any specific application because, again, this is an attitude within the heart of the wife of yieldedness towards the husband. And so it's dangerous to talk about specific applications, and it's definitely dangerous for a man to talk about specific applications, and it's dangerous for a husband probably to say to his wife, I think you should be so more submissive in this area. And for a wife to say, oh, yeah, well, I think you should be more sacrificial in this area of our marriage. No, that's probably not going to go so well. Right. Husbands and wives need to, to, to pray about this and ask the Lord to reveal the things, the attitudes in the heart and the way that that can that should work its way out in the context of that particular marriage. But here are a couple of things that women have said about this passage, how they have applied this in the 21st century. And um, these are Christian women who I read who were talking about how they applied Ephesians five. Here's what one woman said. She said, I was going through a difficult struggle in my marriage, a difficult time in marriage. I started looking at the Bible for help. I found Ephesians five and started studying what Paul had to say about it. And she said, God gave me a very helpful pattern for relating to my husband. And here's what she says. See him as a gift from God. See him as a gift from God. Speak to him with words of affirmation. You know, notice that Paul says at the end of this passage, I don't know if we read it, but Paul says um, the husband is to love the wife and the wife is to respect the husband. Speak to him with words of respect, words of affirmation, speak about him in that way and serve alongside him to help. So this was one woman's application in her context of a struggling marriage where there's a lot of tension. I got to recognize him as a gift of God. I have got to speak to him in an affirming, respectful way. And I need to find ways that I can help him. OK, that's one way ladies, ladies application. Another way to think about how this works is when a decision has to be made, but the husband and wife cannot agree on the decision. And there's conflict over a decision, and uh, it's hard to move forward or impossible to move forward. So Tim Keller, in his book on marriage, and he wrote a book on marriage with his wife, Kathy, they talk about this in their book. He said he at one time felt a call to move from where he was ministering in Pennsylvania to New York City, to Manhattan, where he planted a church. But Kathy did not want to go to Manhattan with the three little children. She said, I don't want to raise my kids in New York City. So they were at odds, and there was this conflict. And so finally, Tim Keller said, well, I just won't go. I'm not going to go. And she said, well, wait a second. Don't put that on me. (laughs) Uh uh. She said, this is one time where I want you to exercise leadership. I want you to make a decision, and then you're responsible for this decision. But don't put this on me. She said, you, I'm going I'm to quote exactly what she said. You have to be a leader here and take responsibility. That's your job. It's my job to, it, it's my job to wrestle with the Lord until I can joyfully support your call. And that's what happened. And the rest is history. I mean, Redeemer Presbyterian Church has grown and grown and grown and influenced uh, churches throughout the United States and throughout the world. Sometimes a a decision has to be made. Somebody has to take responsibility. And I think that is one application of what Paul is saying here, where he says wives yield and husbands take leadership, loving leadership for your family. So brothers and sisters, these are again, these are spirit filled attitudes. This happens as God works in our life. He calls the wife to be a strong helper, an essential complement to the husband who is also willing to yield and God calls the husband to be a servant leader who's willing to lay down his life for his wife. I think this is countercultural stuff, but I think it's very compelling when you see this dynamic at work in a marriage. When there is love and respect flowing in a marriage and I've I've seen it here, it's very compelling and it's an echo of the love that God has spoken to us at the cross. Amen. Let's pray. Your word has to say to us about marriage and the, the gift that it is and can be. And help those of us who are at this season of our life married to be faithful to what you are teaching here and to have these attitudes Lord, no matter where we're at at in our station of life, married or single, we need your grace. We need your spirit to be faithful to the the life that you call us to live. That is to be a reflection of your love. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.